Hey, everybody, this is Mark Levine, and you're listening to episode 35 of the NYC Real Estate Podcast. And today we have somebody great uh, hanging out with us. Uh, we have Josh Goldman from Bar Gold Storage. Hey, Josh. How you doing? I'm good. So before I intro you to everybody, and I've known you for a very long time, since I started in this industry back in 1998, I remember, I think that was the first time we probably met, but um, let me just give some info on the show. If you want to email the show, uh, nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. As I said before, I'm Mark Levine. I'm uh, with property management company EBMG in the New York City area, and we manage co-op, condo, rental, commercial mixed-use buildings. And uh, so, Josh, you're you're a managing member of Bargold, and as I said, I've known you forever. We we have your products in a lot of our buildings. Um, you're a third generation in your company, right? So this isn't just a fly-by-night company that I've known for 20 plus years. No, this is not. Uh, my grandfather started this company back in the 80s. Uh, it's actually a, a funny story. My, my dad and uncle have always been in business together. Uh, they were going out of business in the uh, garment industry in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather, for some random reason, had to get a storage unit in a store, commercial storage facility. So he went down to the storage facility and he loved the concept so much. And there was a line for storage units. And he's like, he talked to my dad and uncle. He's like, Jerry Allen, you got to get down here and see what <laughs> this concept is. This concept is amazing. And they're like, Mike, we're, 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 we're trying to wrap up things. Don't bother us right now. You know, just just do what you're doing and don't bother. And, and Mike wouldn't give up. So he said, no, you got to come down here. So they went down there. They loved the concept. And gradually from the 80s to the 90s, they built up uh, eight or nine facilities, commercial mini storage, like you'd see on the side of the road. Nowadays, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're very bright with open windows and bright doors that you see through oh, the yeah. windows. I don't know why that's marketing, but it is. Um, and they built up this little portfolio of eight to nine facilities, and that's how they got into mini storage. And then in the, in like the very late 80s, early 90s, my grandfather started doing the construction or the installations of these storage units in the warehouses for my dad and uncle. So we set up Bargold contracting. And then a customer of our storage came to us, came to, to the owners and said, Hey, can you do this in my apartment building? Mm. And a light bulb, and did my, that go off? And my grandfather stepped back and he said, sure. So we mobilized little crews to do this in the apartment buildings. And at that time we were only selling or leasing the units. So we, right. we, we had, we just wanted to put in units. This was a new concept. And then in 95, when I came in is when we started the rental concept because we looked at each other and we said, look, listen, we know how to manage them. We've been managing thousands and thousands of units uh, for, for over a decade now. We, feel that the management of the buildings may love this, but doesn't want to put in the upfront money and doesn't want to deal with the management of the units. Right. So let's start and let's see what happens. Who knows? So we started that business in 95. That's the Bargold storage that's in, in existence now. Yeah. Um, and from there, it's grown into, into uh, uh, a major undertaking with 
with software innovations and people in the field and, and, and customer service reps and maintenance reps and installation crews. Um, we support, you know, our, our size is about 50 families. So 50, uh, 50 employees. Um, we, as a family, we sold the mini storage, commercial mini storage piece when Storage USA, uh, then they sold to GE, then they broke it up to Storage Post and some of the ones you see today, CubeSmart. Right. Um, but, but we sold out when they came into the area because a lot of these commercial uh, operators being REITs have a lot deeper pockets for marketing and for, uh, if you will, at the time it was Yellow Pages, but yeah. for, for, for reach, for, for, for outreach, for, for the customer base. So it was very tough to, to uh, compete with them in the marketplace of Manhattan. Um, and, and, and the outskirts, we were mainly in the boroughs of Manhattan. Um, and they decided to get out of that and just build Bargold. And we've been very happy. And today we will, we'll do, as I said, we'll do the management. Yeah. Uh, that's what we prefer to do. We prefer to take the room, make it look beautiful, put in lights, exit signs, the units, uh, rent it out, keep it looking beautiful throughout. Um, but we'll also sell the product if the building simply wants to, Hey, we just want to own it, you know, build it and walk away. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no problem. So let me ask you what, what year did you start with Bargold officially? I beat you by three years. I started in 95. Okay. Uh, actually at the end of 95 Thanksgiving. And I started oh, happy anniversary uh, when we um, were renting out our second facility Entity two, as we call it. And just to make sure I was there from the beginning, I went back and had another, we call it an open house. We don't haven't had them during COVID, but when we first have the units available, we have a night where we're there, sort of like a cable company showing their cable TV to the, to the population of the building. Uh, we have a night where we're there, hey, we'll show you the units. Yeah. Uh, so we sent around flyers. We, we have we have people in the lobby to sign up people who are interested. So I had a second open house at Entity One. Uh, so I could say I was here from the beginning from when we started this, uh, the, this yeah. concept entirely. Well, that's interesting. And kind of circling back to what happened with, with your commercial units, you I guess you guys just realized that you could make your own kind of niche. You know, you could you made your own product that didn't exist before. I mean, people probably haphazardly put storage units in basements and in buildings, but not maybe to the level that you did at that time. And there's very few companies. I can't think of another company in the New York City area that does. And I'm not blowing smoke to, you know, to you. But literally, when I think of like the rental side of it, where somebody will come in like, OK, let's let's just back up for the for the listeners. So. And a lot of buildings, um, the basements will have extra space, storage space. Maybe sometimes buildings have um, a need for, you know, residents to have storage. And they're de debating, you know, two ways. Do we, uh, do we buy the storage units and do we put that up ourselves? Do we take on the liability of that? Or do we go out to a third-party company that, similar to how a laundry room is rented out to the third-party company, we're renting it out to the uh, storage company. And the benefit of that is, on my, on my side, when I'm talking to, let's say a client, when they're looking for that, if, if we're going to rent out the space to you, 
it takes the liability off of the building. It takes the liability and the work off of the managing agent. It's kind of a win-win. You come in, you, you set up the, um, the schematic of what you feel would be the right storage um, number of units, the sizes, you give us that information. And then you will come in, as you said, you'll paint the room, you'll make sure that the lighting is appropriate, you'll make sure that the exit signs are appropriate as per code, and then you'll put in the storage units. What I like about that situation when you're renting it is you handle the wait list, you handle the tenant occupancies, the tenant vacancies, you come and handle any of the work orders that need to happen, and we can go into how you do that after. Um, but it is from a building and from a management perspective, a little bit more hands-off and typically you're renting the space essentially. And, um, a building would get a portion of the rent as the, in the contract, right. With you guys. So that if, if people are in the actual storage space, uh, the building can get revenue from that, but there's no liability and no need uh, to spend more than, you know, a few minutes calling in a work order when something happens and you guys are going to be there. On the flip side, you could buy the, the units, right? And you can, buy, you, but the you're not going to come in there. You're not going to clean up the room in the same fashion. You're not going to uh, make sure that the walls are painted, that the floor is painted, that the, the lights are there. You're just putting in the unit that you're contracted to do. And uh, I'm assuming you do both the wire cages and the steel cages, right? That are the solid. You have a combination of both that you could do. We do. Uh, we also have a hybrid, which is a uh, solid uh, walls with a mesh door, either a mesh window or fully mesh. But you're absolutely right. Listen, it's, 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 it's how you want to handle that room. Do you want to layer in between you and your uh, residents of your building? Um, and we still allow, like, if that's the case, we'll still allow your building to dictate to us what the rules are uh, in terms of if someone's a, a, let's say a bad egg in the, in, in the building in terms of there's litigation going on, they're behind in, in maintenance fees, uh, we'll allow them uh, a, a right of refusal or, or to put, put um, a, a rule in place that we have to go to them for approval uh, in terms of, of renting out units, because you don't want to be in a situation where you're offering a great amenity to, uh, to people that, you know, are, are abusing um, uh, rules within, within the co-op or condo uh, or building. Um, but in general, we do everything for every customer. Um, if they want to buy it and they want to prep the room themselves and they want us to walk away, we'll do that. We much prefer the rental because we make the room look perfect. We right. keep the room looking perfect throughout the uh, throughout the years of the uh, agreement. Um, we are a layer between them and and the customer. Um, so when it comes to um, stuff getting damaged in the unit uh, because of a leak from above, when it comes to uh, uh, the unfortunate thing which occasionally happens of break-ins. Uh, yeah. We handle it. We don't turn around and say, hey, it's the landlord's fault. We handle it. We step up. We have procedures in place where we, we handle what's going on. The, the best compliment we can get, and I think we're in a, a number of buildings with you, is that you don't hear from us. Right. 
and you don't hear from your residents about problems with us. So that to us is, is the best compliment where we can keep the storage room the way it should look and run it the way it should run and just never bother the manager who's dealing with everything else in the building. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, one of my favorite things to do is when I get an email in a building that you're in, oh, what's the waiting list? Can I get added? And I just forward it. Well, I'll give Brian Fink over there a shout out, but I'm like, here, talk to Brian. I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He'll take care of you. Exactly. And all of our systems, um, uh, which, which I saw from an early time in the early 2000s, we needed to build a system besides spreadsheets yeah. to, to keep all this stuff. So we built websites internal to the, to the organization. Everybody goes around with a, a Android phone and we have software on the Android phone that, that feeds in the, the barcodes of storage units and they're able to open maintenances and tell us which rooms are rented and tell us where there are issues. So they get solved and maintained uh, appropriately uh, and do not get forgotten. Everything gets logged. Yeah. So if you ask me, when's the last time you were in your building, in the building, I could tell you that the second when the last time someone was in your building and what they did right. and have a picture uh, story from when they were there, even if they just did a general checkup. Because your information is packed in through barcodes that are on each unit. And that barcode is associated with all the data that they're uploading. So the technology that you've kind of implemented takes away a lot of the um have it need the need to go back to the office, the need to input it into, in your case, what you were using prior was a spreadsheet or through a Dropbox folder. Now it's all integrated into your intranet so that anybody in the office could pull up any, any specific building or storage unit to see the history. And that's helpful because a lot of boards will, if they're, let's say there's um, either a shareholder complaint or unit owner complaint. And they're saying, you know, uh, this is broken on a unit. We can reach out to you if they don't. And then we can ask for a detailed history of that specific unit to see maybe that's a problem. And you, I'm sure, can gauge at that point too, if you're seeing that there's one type of an issue on one storage unit, you know, what's going on? You know, that if it's outside the norm, uh, you that makes it easier for you to do your job and to keep your product because you are a product, you know, you're a service and you're a product. Those are the, the two great things about you guys is that you're handling both ends of that. Um, so the more I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a huge information nerd. Like you do, like you were saying with the spreadsheets, like I'm diving, I'm creating and diving deep into my spreadsheets because you're at the set. You probably, when we met each other, we were around the same size, right? And we've both kind of grown a little bit over the last 20 years, I would hope. Um, so when you get to the scale that we're both at, at this point, you have to put those things into place. Otherwise you'll drown in just the monotonous data entry and, you know, just trying to detail all of this information, but that's great. Um, in terms of, okay, so I've, let's say we have a, a basement room. We've fixed it up. We've put um, the lighting in, we've put the exit lights in, we've painted everything. How do I, as a board, make the choice between, the three choices that we at least laid out where we've got the wire, we've got the steel and we've got the hybrid. Like what are the, what are the reasons to go with um, something a little bit more solid or, you know, is there a cost factor? Obviously there's a privacy factor when you've got something that's closed up as opposed to a wire, like almost like you're looking at fencing uh, where you could see completely through. 
what are you seeing is uh, the the normal um, install in, in the buildings that you're typically installing in? Is it is it the solid pieces of storage? Well, we we always like to push the solid for the reasons you brought up as well as others. Um, uh, you can rent solid units for more money than you can rent wire units. The privacy in in solid units um, is is key. You're not going to store alternate season clothing in an open wire mesh unit. Right. in a basement in your building, which is like a hundred apartments. Why? Because different things float through the air in that area, which will contaminate or which will affect, let's say your clothing. I don't want to wear golf clothes on the golf course in the summer for the first time that I took out of a, a wire storage unit. However, if it's solid, it's a little more uh, protected from, uh, the environment. Right. Uh, and it's a little more secure and it feels a little more like my space. Now, if there's yeah. sprinklers in that room, you need to put a wire mesh top on the top instead of the solid steel top. Uh, and of course you need to keep 18 inches under the sprinklers for proper coverage. Um, but if there's no sprinklers, if it's an older building, and if, if, if you're just fixing up a storage room, you put in the fully enclosed product. It's not like a refrigerator. You can breathe if you go in there and close the door. Um, you're not going to lose air, but it's more secure and it's more protecting against vermin and, and, and other things that may be in the basement uh, than, than a wire product. The wire product is excellent if you want to, listen, I just want to throw up storage units. So I say I can have storage units. I'm going to rent them out for this price. I have no problem getting the price. I just want to want to want to put it there, but you'll find in store in, in wire storage units a lot of times people put put like shower curtains on the inside, so they're trying to protect the unit right. inside. So the the old fallacy of oh I want to see what they're storing, you don't want to see what they're storing. They're storing yeah. in boxes. You're going to yeah. see they have eight boxes. Do you know what's in those boxes? No. So the old fallacy that oh I, I need to see what's inside. Um, you're, you're not going to want to be a monitor. What, what you do for that, and, and we have a very strong one, is you develop an occupancy agreement, and ours is month to month. It doesn't commit the user to anything more than a month. And it lays out what they can and can't store. They can't store any food. They can't store anything odor producing. They can't store anything living, anything once living. Um, uh, they can't store anything hazardous or, or that uh, uh, they can't store like propane tanks or anything like that. Right. But very clearly you wanna lay that out. And also what you wanna lay out in your agreement very clearly is a limit on liability that they're not gonna be storing their Babe Ruth baseball cards, mint condition in a storage unit. That's not what a storage unit is for. Mm -hmm. A storage unit is for bikes, children's mm -hmm. toys, it's overflow. Two cases, extra Costco paper towels because you want to go to Costco once a month and hopefully they allow you to buy uh, 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 12 paper towels right now. Um, it, it's for the extra household items that you need space for that you want to clear up another closet in your 
in your apartment. It's for mm-hmm. golf clubs. It's it's for the sporting equipment. It's if you have a kid in hockey, his huge hockey bag. Well, that yeah. that, that could be odor producing. <laughs> that um, could be. I've um, known some hockey kids. It's pretty yeah, gross. But but that's what you want to store. And you might just just think about putting your kids' sporting equipment in an open mesh storage unit as opposed to a steel unit. I'd be more comfortable putting into a steel unit. Now, what's the price differential if you went out and bought just the unit? It's probably like a third of the price. You probably can get a, a, a wire unit um, without the floor uh, for about six to $800. Right. Um, and you probably can get a, a solid unit with the floor for $2,000. Um, so it is a big price differential, but if you think about what you'll be charging and how long the storage units will last, and you figure in that it'll take you an extra year to year and a half to make that money back on a sale perspective, meaning you're gonna ma- manage and maintain, then in the long run, I don't see why people choose wire. Mm-hmm. But we offer it because it, it, it does. It is being chosen. Yeah. It, it, it's it, listen, each is own. We, we also went into an Upper East Side building and we installed shelving. Everybody got their own shelf. But we have shelving also. We wanted to service the one building on yeah. the Upper East Side. They said, look, we, we don't want to build small storage units. We just want shelves. Mm-hmm. Okay. Listen, whatever they want, we'll do. And it makes sense. Obviously, uh the occupants of your storage unit should also carry their own personal insurance policies, like a homeowner's insurance policy that will cover their personal items, even if they're not in their apartment. And I'm sure, how do you handle insurance on your end if something gets damaged? You said that you have a, a maximum coverage in your occupancy agreement. So any issues that they have with relation to damage, do they contact your office or do they, you know, how does that traditionally work? We, we shift them to their insurance carrier. You're absolutely right. They carry their own insurance. And with our indemnity clause that says that, yes, we're responsible if we're at fault for up to, uh, I think ours says $3,000. Um, we do claim about three times in the agreement that they carry their own insurance and we don't have insurance for their items. Right. Basically, because we don't know what they're storing. So, right. you know, it's a matter of if something gets damaged, oh, let's throw it in the storage unit and blame Barney. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, we don't know what they're storing. Uh, the only time we take, we, we don't even have a key to their storage unit. They, they use their own padlock on a hasp on the storage unit. And um, let me just get rid of this. They, the only time we take possession of their unit is when we're going when we've reached the end, they're not paying us. They're not responsive. Uh, we've advertised. We've sent them uh, the statutory serving letter, um, and we have to pick up their goods in order to sell them at auction. Uh, I'm sure many of, of the listeners have seen storage wars or <laughs> yeah. other things like that, which is a total fabrication of what happens. Right. Because I have to tell you, if you're storing King Tut's treasures in a storage unit, you're going to find a way to come up with the $600 you owe. Right. You open that storage unit and you're finding suitcases, um, uh, old books, 
maybe old records at times. Not much of value. Historically, on our history, I don't think we've ever gotten more an offer from 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 a. We we have an auctioneer in, in the warehouse every every month, and he has four to five people bidding on units. I don't think a unit has ever gone for more than forty or fifty dollars. Wow! Really? Nothing. The the statute is there so that the mini storage operator can recover that room without going to court. Because the fees are so small that us going to landlord tenant court every time someone's not paying us wouldn't make sense. Right. Right. So, so the average amount owed to me is like 400 bucks and I get 50, you know, Vargo gets 50 at the auction and then we're at 350. We put it into collections and we forget about it, but we move on to the next renter. The big thing is getting that room back so we can rent it to the next person on the wait list. So you said something before that I didn't know. And you mentioned that you advertised the sale. When somebody goes into foreclosure, when they when they don't pay their rent and now you're going to collections and you have, because of the occupancy, the way that it's written, you could take out the articles and if they continue to not to pay, I'm assuming, and you, you do certain steps, then you can auction it off. But what is, what is the protocol? Um, once, let's say I'm renting the space, I don't pay for a few months. However, it's listed out in the occupancy agreement. What's the next steps for you as a company so that you could get that out of the unit and rightfully sell the unit uh, contents and then put the next person in? All right. This is what we do, which is very different from mini storage, commercial mini storage. If you have an agreement with a commercial mini storage operator and you're 30 days late, they'll move you to auction right away. We understand that a lot of our situations may be, uh, may be different and we're doing business in their building. So it's a lot different to begin with. But we send a series of six letters. The sixth letter is the actual serving letter, which, which we can then go to auction on. It's sent out when someone's 82 days late mm -hmm. and it gives them another 60 days before the auction, 45 to 60 days. Okay. Within that 45 to 60 day period, uh, they're advertised twice within 15 days of the auction, uh, which is again, statute, uh, what you have to do. We collect the goods and we have hold the auction with a commercial auctioneer in our warehouse, not to create a big hype at the building location. Since it's in right. New York state, we can, we can stage it. Okay. Um, all of this being done, we put phone calls, we put text messages. We don't want to touch anybody's stuff. That's the only place that we run liability because we're actually touching people's stuff. Yeah. And obviously, if they pay, then they want their stuff back. A lot of people in, in commercial mini storage will overlock that unit that you can't gain access to. It. We don't overlock because we don't want to find that unit with stuff to bring into the warehouse. I'd rather find that unit empty and right. move on to the next person. But occasionally you do. Occasionally you find someone who says, look, I don't have the money. I don't want the stuff. Just pick it up. Like we're at their door and they're saying, I'm not going to give you money. I'm not going to get my stuff out. Just take it if you need to. And we have to take it because there's, there's no other choice. 
So we send a truck, we send a crew, we get the stuff in, we put it into another storage unit in our location. And at the appropriate time, which is, which is a day listed on the letter, we hold the auction at our facility and we auction off maybe out of the 80 rooms to 130 rooms that we started with, that we sent that notice for, we may auction off four, mm-hmm. three, uh, five. Um, during the beginning of the pandemic, we stopped auctions. Uh, so when we came back to actually auctioning, because we just had, had too many waitlisted people that were waiting for units and these people weren't paying, and they weren't reaching out and they weren't reachable. You know, we, we had to catch up. So we had a number of auctions there that we had to catch up and it is a process. Um, it, it is, uh, you know, it is a, a, a cost intensive process, which again, if we're doing the rental for the building, they collect the 25% of what we collect every month. So if right. we collect rent every month, they get the 25%. Once we go into the auction situation, those expenses are all ours. We don't deduct them from anything. So this whole idea of getting the unit back and getting it back the proper way in the legal way, it's all on us. Right. Um, we hate to auction. It's the last thing I want to do. And going forward, uh, New York State Storage Association has even um, published um, uh, a decree or a, a words to live by where they state that commercial operators should do exactly what we've been doing. Reach out to the customer, mm-hmm. try and make a deal, try and get them to get their stuff out, you know, not stop access to that storage unit. That's exactly right. what we do. But now the rest of the commercial facilities are catching on. Because, because they see that at this time, that's especially what they want to do since people could have real issues paying. But if they're not responding, if they don't pick up the phone, if they get the notice and just ignore it, then you don't have much of a choice because it's unfair in our case for the rest of the people on the wait list. We have some wait lists that, that people's grandkids will not get units <laughs> because they're 90 people long in a building with 45 units and you're not going to get two times turnover in a generation in those units. It's just like a parking lot in a lot of these buildings. The garage parking wait list is longer than most people will live there. 15 years, 20 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the only time you get turnover is when someone moves out of the building who had a story, who had a parking spot. Yeah. Right. So roughly what's your percentage of, of your overall portfolio that goes into this non-payment? Uh, is it like super, super small, 1%, 2%? Yeah. Uh, if there's... I see you crunching numbers. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, like, it's like less than 1%. Okay. And... It, it, it's, it's less than 1%. And, and vacates also are very costly because every time someone vacates a room and... and this is where things will fall through the cracks that the building is managing, managing it themselves. Mm-hmm. When somebody calls us for a vacate, okay, when they leave the room, we go back and we have plywood, uh, fire retardant plywood floors raised off the ground by about two inches with steel studs because we realize we're in a basement. Right, that was the question. In a basement, leaks. Yeah, that was so the, you were literally leading me towards 
a question that I was going to bring up about the floor and having it raised. So I'll let you keep going. Absolutely. You don't want a little leak from a little pipe that's dripping to affect someone's contents. Yeah. So we have a floor. The plywood floor, when we rent the unit, is freshly painted battleship gray. Mm -hmm. When somebody's stored on that floor for a month to, to 10 years, their, their time with us, that floor obviously does not look wonderful when they leave. They scratched it up. They move things. So we have to go out and we have to evaluate on the vacate. We have to evaluate that floor. Do we just need to paint it? Do we need to replace it? How do we make this room look perfect? Like you would imagine a hotel room. When someone leaves, you have to make it look perfect for the next guest. Yeah. So the vacates, which by now we get, you know, close to 200 a month. That's a big time consuming process because you have to go out and make those rooms rentable for the next person. And then we have to set up the, uh, the meeting with one of our field reps who comes fully adorned in, in full PPE garb to rent out that unit. Now, why? Because one, we have to show the person how to get into the storage area. There's, a, there, there's usually a master key or fob to get into the storage mm -hmm. area. We have to give them that. We have to show them the room. They may not like it. They may say, nah, this is not for me. It's too small. It's too big. Yeah. I thought it was a four by six and it's a four by seven. And people don't really know sizes until you get there. Right. Because I can tell you four by six and you have something in your mind, which it totally is not. Yeah. Um, it, it just, human age, if I'm not in storage every day, all day, I wouldn't know what a four by six is. We try and equate it to your typical passenger elevator because people can, you know, go in and out of elevators a lot. Yeah. But we have to show them. You have to sign them up with the agreement, which we're working on electronic signature for that aspect of it. And we have to give them a padlock, which comes with each of our rentals. And we have to see them secure the room. Why? Because if you leave that room empty, you run the possibility of someone else moving into it. Right. So until that rental, we have what we call a house lock, which is our lock on the unit. So we always keep that room under lock, which if we go back to why are you scanning everything? Part of what we do each day, every day with all our reps is they'll scan each room, each unit in a storage area, and they'll tell the system what the status of that room is. Mm -hmm. Is it customer locked, house locked, or unlocked? And then depending upon their response, the system on the, the Android phone will tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. It could be put a lock on and call the office. Right. It could be, oh, we know about this, just move on. But it, it's smart enough to say, all right, this is what I want you to do because you happen to be in this particular building at this particular time. I don't want to make a separate trip to investigate what you're already there to investigate. So you have a lot of efficiencies built into your software to prevent you from going back two or three times oh. to do the thing that you can do. How, um, in terms of, you know, with it's squat, it's almost like squatters, but what happens if you have a, an unlocked or somebody goes into a unit that's not theirs and they put their own lock on what's your legal mechanism to get somebody out? Because it's not something I'm familiar with, but storage, but you have your own occupancy agreements. You technically are leasing the room. What are, what does that look like? If I'm, let's say I'm in apartment five F and I just see an open room and I'm like, Oh, I'm going in there. What do I expect from you? Uh, once you figure out who's in that unit. 
Well, it, that that's often it. We can't figure out who's in that unit. And if you can't figure out who's in that unit, what we do is we film it, we break the lock and we look for identification in the stuff in the unit and then we'll re-secure it and call that person. Will you um, put a house lock on it, one of yours? Uh, we'll put a house lock or a resale lock on it if we need something stronger because the house lock is a, is a relatively small lock mm-hmm. for, for minimal uh, security. Not like a padlock is a lot tougher to get through, but we'll, we'll put a, we'll, in that, that, that almost never happens because we don't leave our rooms unlocked right. for a long time. But if someone did, eh, it's my room, I'm not going to lock it right now. They go upstairs. Someone else that week comes down and locks the room. They give us a call. There's a lock on my room. Yeah. Well, did you have it locked? No, I left it unlocked. Well, I don't know who that was. <laughs> so in that case, we have them send us a, 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 a letter uh, that says, look, it's not my lock. Can I meet you? And can you cut the lock? And we do. And we investigate. Mm-hmm. And we'll go through it. But again, that's not something that the manager or building yeah. really want to get into. That's something that we deal with. And again... Cutting that lock, you almost never want to do because that's the one time you take risk as to contents in a storage unit. So if you had an emergency in the building and we're by our agreement allowed to cut locks in terms of an emergency, we'll always go through with the building. Do you have somewhere to put the stuff? Do you have, is there another unit there? Is there a building unit? Meaning is there a wall with a door that's blocking off some pipe valves where we can secure the stuff while you're fixing it if we can't get in touch with the customer. And at least it's a short-term solution. It's not going to be there forever. Exactly. Um, And and this comes up quite often, and we're we're very successful in getting in touch with those people so we can make arrangements with them. But if we're not, and it's an emergency situation, we have the right to cut the lock. Yeah. In that case, we'll cut the lock. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll film the goods being, being taken out or being stored in a different location. We'll get the, the, the super building involved to keep it in their location. We'll take it back to the warehouse. We'll, we'll do whatever has to be done. That, that's part of what we do. We, we, we were just in a building the other day where, where a new super came in and he said, see that valve up there? I need, I need more access to it than what I have. So can we vacate that storage unit? Well, that's a shame because that was a rentable storage unit. Yeah. You put up a good point. We'll give you access to that. And in that location, just randomly, that unit vacated that day. Oh, wow. So we took the top off the unit. We said, listen, put your lock on it. We'll work out the paperwork to, to acknowledge that that's a building unit, but we don't want to re-rent it. Yeah. Because we want you to have full access. We're not here to be a, a, a problem for you. We're here to yeah. be a, You're a partner a, a partner in, in your maintenance. So that that's what, what we do every day, all day. Um, we, we, we work with supers, we work with the, the maintenance team at the building to make their jobs as easy as can be. And if we're blocking something, we want to make sure that they have access to it. And you know how many times I've had a conversation with a client where they're like, well, we don't know if we need storage. And I always say, no, 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 no. Get the storage. If you have the room, get the storage. Because once you put it in, people will be like, yeah, I need the storage. It, even if we put out a questionnaire and we get little feedback you know, from the shareholders, the, the residents, it, and it's not a tremendous need. As soon as somebody sees that somebody else is using a storage unit and it's reasonably priced and it's accessible because it's in the it's in the actual building, we find that there oftentimes it'll be full pretty quickly and then there will be a wait list with you guys. So I always yeah. like to say, build it and they will come. 
you know? Absolutely. And especially now, I mean, you probably, if you have any of your residents uh, reach out to mini storage locations, you can't get a storage space right now. People need home offices. They need places for the kids to be on Zoom calls with their schools. Um, they need more space. Yeah. And you, if you don't have this in your building and you have space for it, you must put this in uh, through some means. Uh, it, it, it must be an amenity. Uh, gyms and buildings now are closed down uh, because of the uh, of the horrible pandemic. That's re very restrictive. Be uh, very uh, tough. Yeah. But but storage people need to put their stuff places and 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 you're essential. Storage is essential. Correct. Uh, it was deemed essential, uh, according to uh, uh, the governor. Uh, I, 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 I believe that it's because people could be storing medical supplies and other uh, things that they need access to in their storage unit commercially. Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, during the shutdown, we did not add on. We did not build. We, we, put, we put buildings that were anticipating uh, storage units on hold because we're not in a situation where we could do construction or do installations, but at the same time, we had to make sure our areas were safe and we had to make sure our customers were safe. So we had the office open with the skeleton staff, uh, more people working at home, and uh, we had our maintenance teams, uh, which are, I say a team, maintenance crew, which consisted of one person going to different buildings to make sure they were safe and do what they have to do to, to you know, occasionally get up water, or make sure that uh, uh, that areas uh, remain dry, remain uh, remain brightly lit, uh, and are safe, uh, bright environments for the people who use them. In terms of, um, I forgot where I was going with my question. I just lost it. Oh man. Um, we'll circle back. Yeah, I'm sure. Damn it! I hate when that happens. <laughs> while you were talking, I was like, that's, a, I have a question that would have been great, but, um, what, are, Oh, I know where I was going. Thank you for letting me have the time to figure out what I was going to say. Um, in terms of enemies of storage, I think that humidity and mold would be two huge ones. Um, how are you recommending, or do you do it for the, uh, for the rooms that you have, you know, the dehumidifiers or other other items that we could have to better protect the environment because it's not maybe an area that a lot of people are going in every day. So it's not getting the traffic. So if a leak does happen, I mean, you hope that a superintendent is walking through, but there are a lot of buildings that don't have a live in super that have part-time help and they're not checking in. And let's say everybody's away, you know, during the summer or with COVID people are just kind of like hanging out in their apartments because they, they're not traveling around. What are you doing as the company to offset the risk of humidity and anything else that leads from humidity? We've started about two years ago, three years ago, we had a terribly wet summer and a lot of our buildings were complaining of, uh, of a, a musty smell and, and not, not so much mold, but, but a mildewy feel to the, to the room. And we actually looked into it at some of the trade shows um, they just, they, they displayed a, a, a dehumidification unit, which is a standalone unit, uh, which is run on its own circuit and pumps out 
I think the smallest one pumps out like 70 liters a day of water and it runs wow. on a humidistat. So we've been installing that and actually in that specific uh, uh, community, uh, which consists of, I think, 15 different storage rooms in a, 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 uh, in a community surrounding a, a, a green area or a park in the center. Uh, we installed dehumidifiers in every basement and the following summer, we got no complaints. Um, so huge. these dehumidifiers are kind of costly. Uh, the installation is costly because then we have to run piping to some drain, which could right. be a sink in, in, in the room right next door. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be any major drain. It's just going to go drip, drip, drip. Mm -hmm. But um, we've been very successful. Um, so now as part of our growing uh, arrows in a quiver, if you will, we do, of course, we do the lighting and painting and patching of that room. We do the dehumidifier. We'll do cameras tied into your system or otherwise. We'll do fobs tied into your system. If you, if you don't have a fob system, we use our key system, which is a uh, multi-lock uh, key system to the main door of the storage area. Mm -hmm. Again, the individual storage units have padlocks. Yeah. Um, we've in the past year, we've done French drain systems through another company. We wow. do pipe wrapping. If your pipes are, are bare and need wrapping because they're cold water lines and yeah. they're condensate and drip, 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 drip. Is this all included in your pricing or are there additional costs for the, for the buildings for these? What we do if we're signing up into a rental agreement, our typical rental agreement, if we're not doing any of these extras, is 10 years. Mm -hmm. So we want a 10-year term. We're giving you 25% from day one. We're getting all the costs. Uh, we're, we're absorbing all the costs. We're, we're paying you based on collections of rent. Um, uh, if we enter into, in the agreement that we're also doing... Um, uh, dehumidifiers and cameras and all this, the term will get longer. Right. Uh, well, there may period. be a few years at the, at the beginning, which are more of a percentage to us. And we give you less than the 25%. It all right. depends on how much work exactly is needed for that, that room. And it sounds like you're willing to work it out with the building to say, okay, this is the money, be upfront about it. This is the money that we're spending out of pocket. This is why we would either want to lower the percentage that you guys keep for a small period or extend it out for the payback period to be right. And it's, it's similar to a laundry room. Those are very expensive machines. So the more bells and whistles you want in your laundry room, the longer either your contract or the less money that they're going to pay you in rent. So there's always, a, there's always got to be a, a give and take on that. There's a give and take, and and, and we're not we're, we're not uh, set in stone with anything. And if you have a multi-building complex and you don't want to go for anything more than the let's call it basic, but it's a beautification of the area. I mean, it's not basic. What we'll say to you is, listen, you know what? In good faith, let's sign the regular agreement. We'll sign a side letter that says we're going to upgrade the first room the way we can. We'll throw that in. But your other six, if you want them all done with the pipe work and with the dehumidifier and with the um, uh, other enhancements, we'll talk and we'll come to an understanding about an amendment, uh, yeah. about additional years 
once you see it, but, but we first want you to see how, how nice the room feels and looks. Right. Um, but the dehumidifier as a, as a single um, uh, addition to a room, not only does it dry it out, it also cools it down. Um, and it's incredible. So the, the, the differences are, are night and day. Yeah. Um, and as I explained to you um, uh, offline, which I'll bring up now, that dehumidification unit needs some maintenance. It probably needs a filter change every four to six months. Um, uh, it needs to get the, um, the, the trap where the water goes out and starts down the, uh, the drain. It needs to get uh, some vinegar, some household vinegar added and cleaned out every four to six months. So we put that work order into our system and it gets generated for us every four to six months. That's not something we look for the building to do ever. Right. Uh, while we're there. And when we leave eventually, hopefully never, but when we, if we leave, if, if we, you know, at the end of the agreement, there's always the chance that the building may want to say, you know what, this is easy. I want to run it. So sell it to me. And, and we, we, you know, at that point, we'll sit down and the typical price now is about 2000 a unit with all the improvements yeah. uh, and a, 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 a transfer of, of the rent and say, say to the customer, uh, the resident of the building, hey, pay them and not us. Right. Uh, so it's a very, very clean uh, sort of transition. Um, but we leave it there. Um, so all the improvements get left in the building. We, we're, we're not into ripping out things that we did. So this all becomes fixtures of the building, if you will. Do you find that happens often where a building will buy itself out? It happens. I, I mean, we have close to a thousand entities and it probably happens maybe one a month at this point, okay. maybe one every two months. It depends on where the building is and if the, the build, if the room gets a lot of use. Yeah. If you have a small building and seven units and I look at the turnover and the last unit vacated two years ago and we have a small wait list of three people, then it's pretty much a, a, a self-sufficient little room in that building. Right. If, if there's been nine vacates in the past year, four auctions, mm -hmm. 45 units, and there's 90 people on the wait list, you would probably think more about getting into that situation. Right. And that's what I tell people. Um, uh, yeah, this is something you probably could do by yourself. And if you wanted to, what you eliminate by doing it yourself is you don't have a layer anymore in between you and the, the customer. Um, all the maintenance is your own. Uh, just keep in mind when people do vacate, it's, it's an evaluation of the floor. Um, as you said, with laundry equipment, our, our solid product is very expensive. It's overbuilt for the area. It'll probably outlast the cockroaches and you'll probably have the ceiling fall down on the storage units before anything happens to the storage units. Yeah. So there's no maintenance per se because they're so well built, but there is painting, there is freshening up. Uh, people should go into a brightly lit, well-painted, fresh room, and they shouldn't have to go into anything else. Right. So when you give it to the building, listen, the building where I live in on the Upper East Side uh, bought the units. They, they took over a boiler room 
next to their storage room. They said, hey, Josh, we want to rip out. And they had old A&D units, if you remember the old file cabinet type yep. material. They're like, we want to rip it out. All the floors are collapsing. We want you to paint the room, light the room. You know, we'll pay for it. We just want you to, to organize it with our, with our vendors. Um, we'll put in a dehumidifier. We want you to build the units. And that was three years ago. And I don't think there's been much turnover and the, the room looks fabulous. Um, it doesn't look as good as one of our rooms, but their situation and their, um, their plan for the storage units and how to recoup the money was, was very ingenuitive. Yeah. Um, in, in my building, I buy the storage unit from the building. I can transfer it with my apartment when I sell my apartment and I also pay a maintenance fee every year for the use of that space. Right. So they made it because they knew their customers were dying for storage. They made it that they were out no money because in selling the unit, they made back that money. And the only market that I can sell it to, if I ever wanted to say, hey, I don't need this anymore, is I sell it back to the building for what I paid for it. Right. And I stop my maintenance fee. But in my mind, that, that, that is a good way of doing it if you know your residents need it and know they all have money to buy those units. My units were over, I think to me, were over $2,500 each. Yeah. And I have two of them. You know, so that's one way you can go. The other way in New York buildings, if, if I was doing a rental in my building, it would be like, you know, $80 a month, $90 a month. I would charge the residents $90 a month who wanted storage on a month-to-month basis. If they sell their apartment, that storage unit becomes back in my inventory to give to the next person on the wait list. You can't transfer it with the apartment. So there are benefits to both plans it's just a matter of exactly as we've been discussing, how much the building wants to get involved in this, how much they want to manage the wait list, how much they manage what goes wrong in there, what they want to get involved in, what they want the succession rights to be if someone sells the apartment. You know, if, if you had parking in a building, could you imagine that parking spot going with that apartment? That would be a nightmare. You never turn over that list, right? Yeah. That's the way they did storage. And actually they did parking differently because if I leave the building, my parking spot goes back to them to relet to someone to the next person on the wait list. So right. it's, there's no, there's no rhyme or reason, but I love the way if you wanted to run your own storage room, I love the way my building did it because they still make yearly income and they were not out of pocket any money. It's very smart. My last question before we get off is have there been any code changes that have affected you for those storage rooms and basements that you've had to retrofit um, storage rooms? Like, have you had to invest in emergency lighting or exit signage or, you know, specific types of lighting? Has anything really kind of hit your industry or our buildings that has um, you know, and this, this is going to play also towards people that may have their own storage in their basements to look at their spaces, to see if there's anything that needs to be looked at. Storage is seen as accessory use to the apartment dwellers upstairs. 
Um, and the storage units that we put in are fixtures uh, in that uh, location. Um, so the way we've played it throughout the years is there's no permits to get, there's no code to, to, uh, to abide by, uh, except uh, there is common sense. Obviously we make our aisles uh, legitimate, at least, at least three foot, six inches, uh, most of the time, four foot. Um, if we get a building which has uh, uh, an ADA uh, compliance issue, we make sure that we cater to anybody who says uh, they need accommodations. Uh, in those right. instances, we may not be able to put a floor in that unit or may have to remove it yeah. because you can't obviously wheel a wheelchair into right. a room with a floor on it. Is there a step up when you open the, I don't remember, is there a step up when the door opens or is the door flush to the ground? The door is flush to the ground, but but the, the platform uh, yeah. inside the room creates a step up. Got it. So we'll, we'll modify anything we need to in that case. Um, the lighting we do is LED. Uh, I believe the electrician we use does file under a simple uh, work code that, hey, I'm doing work in the building. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, it's self-certified. It's not like an, an upgrade or anything. We're taking the existing lighting in the room and changing it to led. We're yeah. running the led lights. Um, the exit signs are just hung. Uh, if, uh, uh, the, the exit door is around a corner, uh, so that you can see exit signs from all areas, the numbers on the units themselves are glow in the dark. So when the, uh, light firemen, or if there is an issue with um, the fire, an issue with lights, lights. you're going to see them for, for hours and hours and hours beyond when the lights are on. All the yeah. lights are, are tied to motion sensors. Uh, as I mentioned, sprinklers in the room often, if, if they're there, we always build with mesh tops and keep 18 inches underneath them. Yeah. Um, the few times we have gotten uh, weird. Um, uh, I wouldn't call them violations. I, I would call them inquiries. Uh, we've been very successful in uh, uh, arguing uh, basically our points with with a uh, a firm that 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 goes to the ECB and, and building department hearings. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, in buildings on the CFO, in the cellar level or the basement level, is listed storage. Right. But even if the CFO does not list storage, we have still been successful. Uh, I think we've been challenged about three or four times throughout my 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and more is to come because I'm sure the fire department will, will have, you know, uh, issues in some locations about, about the access and stuff like that. It comes up from time to time. But we've been successful in, in, in making our case and saying, uh, it actually is safer than anything else you can do in there because what's the alternative? The alternative is to have a big room with a lot of stuff with no steel walls. So it's like a bonfire. It's a fire hazard. Uh, right? Yeah. It's, it's a fire hazard right away. And we've been called into many buildings after they've gotten fire hazard uh, issue warnings from the fire department and going into a room with brightly lit aisles and storage units where everything is partitioned uh, is a much safer, cleaner environment. The, the other point to bring up on that, and this is, this is an interesting phenomenon, but we don't allow stuff outside of our unit. There are several reasons we don't. One is because 
it's unsightly uh, and you're renting a storage unit. So everything should be in the storage unit. Uh, the second one is that it could create a tripping hazard or a hazard that if, if someone, you know, reaches up on top of the unit and pulls something down, all, all of a sudden stuff comes and hits their head. But the interesting phenomena is once you allow stuff in the aisle or somewhere in the room, more stuff appears. Right. And more stuff appears. So we keep our rooms. We put signs all over the place. Stuff left outside the unit will be disposed of immediately. Mm-hmm. There's a $300 fine if you're finding if you're found storing stuff outside of the unit. Yeah. And some of the funniest pictures I have in in my in my portfolio are like stuff on top of a unit right above the sign that says don't store stuff outside yeah. your unit. But it happens. But we want to see brightly lit hallways, clear hallways, clear tops of units, because one of the maintenance items when we come into a solid top area is we vacuum the tops of the units. Mm-hmm. We don't want dust. We right. vacuum the tops of, of, of light fixtures. We don't want dust. It's, you know, it, it's a dusty area. The basement is a dusty area. We just try and eliminate what we can. We brought up the CFO before, but just as a point if for anybody that's listening wants to see if if you have storage listed on your CFO or if you have storage in your building and you wanted to know if it was you know on there but you said it's kind of an accessory use anyway but anybody could go and look it's by going to nyc.gov slash buildings and then type in your address um, on the front page there in the middle and then that'll bring you up to the building's uh, profile page and on the right side you'll see certificate of occupancy as a link so you could actually pull down if your building does have a CFO and any changes that have happened over years, you'll be able to see it to see what your your building is marked as. Um, but I feel like I, I've learned a lot about storage today. This is a good, this is a good talk. I appreciate it. Um, no so your website, it's, it's bargold.com. And I'm going to put it all in the um, I'll put it all in the description of the video also. And is your email Josh at bargold.com? It is. It is. So that's easy. And, and what's your two, phone? We have two sides to the to the website. There's one uh, panel uh, on the main page, which will take you to a tenants and occupants side, and and the other side is the property owners and building managers and board members side. Yeah, uh, we're we're pretty transparent, so we want the property owners and building managers to see what we're telling tenants, and we want the tenants to see what we're telling property owners, uh, right. and managers. Um, uh, the, the, there's the, there's no secret sauce. We we, we take pride in, in uh, providing a great product and we want it to, to simply be there when you need it. Uh, in fact, our mantra a lot of years ago is simply there. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, just, we just want it to be there when you need it. And, and we don't want you to have to worry about going in there that you're going, oh my God, I got to go down to the storage unit. It's so dirty. It's so dusty. I just don't want to go down and, and, and get anything from it. And we, we want yeah. you to be able to have a pleasant experience down there. Uh, and I say down there because most of the time it's in basement or the main floor. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Well, I thank you for coming on. Let me just remind everybody, if you want to email the show, uh, nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com, nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to call me directly, 212-335-2723, extension 201. Um, I'll put everything in the description of the of the podcast as well. And we'd love it if you could share or subscribe if you haven't subscribed yet. Um, Josh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. Uh, we'll continue to work together. As I said, it's been 
I think 22 plus years at this point that we've known each other. I'm sure we're both young. We got 20 more years to go, right? We're halfway That's through. It. That's I'm not going anywhere. I'm not yeah, going I mean, anywhere. I'm stuck too. I, I feel you. All right. Well, thanks and have a good holiday. You too. Gobble, right. gobble. <laughs> Bye-bye.